0: In the watershed no perfect people allowed so if you sing off key today you're in good company <laughs> hey um i love this song it's a brand new one for us it's i guess on our our rotator in a different key uh, but it comes out of this passage from 2 corinthians 5 and i just want to share this with us today god made him jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him jesus we might become the righteousness of god so we just sang together We declared it today. That's the good news, that Jesus took our place on the cross so that we can have righteous life, right, with God. That's the joy, right? So we get to come, we get to worship, we get to experience God today because Jesus did it all for us. So welcome. Good morning. We're so glad to see you. Today we're going to lift up our voices and and praise today. Um, Let's take a moment. Let's just uh, greet the people around us and say, Hey, if you need a question, ask people what they did for Valentine's Day last week.
1: I invite you all to stay standing and join us in these next couple of songs.
0: Check out this next video from the story.
1: The Israelites left Babylon, many returning to Jerusalem and some heading to surrounding countries. An Israelite named Mordecai moved to a country called Susa with his adopted daughter, Esther. While they were there, the king of Susa, Xerxes, was looking for a woman to become queen. Young women from all over Susa, including Esther, were brought to live in the king's palace and go through a year of beauty treatments before the king would make his selection. When Esther finally got to meet King Xerxes, he was attracted to her more than any of the other women. So Xerxes placed a crown on Esther's head and made her queen. But Esther did not tell him that she was an Israelite, also called a Jew, because Mordecai asked her not to, fearing his reaction. One day, Esther's father Mordecai was sitting near the king's gate and overheard two of the king's officers planning to kill the king. So he warned Esther, and Esther told King Xerxes. The king's life was saved and the two men were executed. Shortly after, King Xerxes promoted one of his men, named Haman, to a position higher than all the other officials. He commanded everyone to bow down as Haman entered each day through the king's gate, but Mordecai refused. When Haman saw this, he was furious and even more angry when he found out from some of his officials that Mordecai was an Israelite. So he looked for a way to kill not only Mordecai, but all of the Israelites living in Susa. He convinced King Xerxes to declare a law, stating that all Israelites living in the region would be killed on a specific day because they would not follow the king's laws. When Mordecai heard about the law, he tore his clothing and wept bitterly. He convinced Esther to go before the king, reveal that she was an Israelite, and ask the king to spare her people. There was one problem. No one, not even the queen, was allowed to come before the king uninvited. If they did, they risked being put to death. But Esther was brave and approached the king, who asked, what is your request? Esther said that she wished for the king to host a banquet and to make sure that Haman, the man who wanted to kill the Israelites, was there. At the banquet, she would make her request known. When the day of the banquet came, everyone, including Haman, was there. The king asked Esther what it was that she wanted. She revealed that she was an Israelite, a Jew, and begged for her own life and the lives of her people. The king was furious with Haman, who had convinced him to create the law, and had him arrested and killed. Then King Xerxes not only removed the law to kill the Israelites, but gave all of them living in the region protection and rights. Because of Esther's bravery, the Israelites were spared and even honored.
2: going to invite all of the preschoolers through 5th grade to come forward to be dismissed for Sunday school. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to thank you for this beautiful day. The sun is shining. May we be able to get out and enjoy some of that. We thank you for these children this morning, and we thank you for your word. May what we learn today, may we be able to bring that out into the world this week and make a difference. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I feel like I need some of that, you know, club 20 weeks into this story and every week we're doing a little bumping. So welcome to Watershed, glad you're here rocking it out with us. Um, I'm Pastor Aaron, I'm a campus pastor here uh, at Watershed. Uh, A couple things that I want to highlight, glad you're with us this morning. If you start to smell bacon and sausage, you are not imagining things. We have our third Sunday potluck. We do that here at Watershed just to help build community, spend time together, get to know each other a little bit more. Oftentimes, just coming to worship, you know, we're rubbing elbows, but uh, just gives us a little bit more time. If you're interested in joining us, uh, Mark is cooking some breakfast this morning pancakes, sausage, bait. Everybody salivate. Now everybody's going to be like, do I smell it yet? Do I? But uh, you're more than welcome to join us. You don't have to have had something. Um, I'm sure you're not filled up on donuts quite yet. But uh, feel free to join us uh, for that. We'd love to have you. i get to know you a little more. Um, the next thing that I want to make mention of is this week starts a season of Lent. Uh, it's a season where we really kind of reflect on our mortality, who we are. We're created people. Um, and as created people, we need our Creator God. Uh, it's a time where we focus on that need for God. That's why oftentimes people give up. They fast um, from something uh, in their life, oftentimes, so that they can realize, wait a second, how can God fill that space? How, I, how can I be more aware of this God that, is, that has created me, loved me, rescued me? Uh, really focuses our attention as we come to Easter. We come to the cross. We come to Jesus' resurrection Ash Wednesday is is how we begin, where we put ashes on our head. You see it across Christian uh, churches and denominations. Uh, people will walk into, you know, coffee shops later on, restaurants, bars. will walk home with these black crosses, but it's from ash to ash, from dust to dust. We recognize God's life-giving presence. So uh, if you're interested in worshiping with us on Wednesday evening, um, up at 6, I believe it's 6 o'clock. Yep, 5.15 soup dinner, so sometimes it's good to turn around. And 6 p.m., Drew's going to be leading us in some worship. Pastor Bill's going to share a meditation uh, with us. And then uh, finally, during uh, Lent, we did this during Advent. Pastor Darwin led just a small little kind of word and table. So an opportunity to have communion each week, to hear... a a really brief meditation around uh, the scriptures. He's doing that again through Lent. Um, He's offering two different opportunities, both on Wednesday. uh, It's 7.30 in the morning, so if you want to just get get your mind focused before you head into work, uh, there's an opportunity there. Um, Or if you're uh, deciding you come on Wednesday night and you want to come just a hair early, um, those times, those opportunities are there for us to be focused, to center our lives in Christ. So I uh, just want to make you aware of these things, some highlights, um, and then I would like to invite you to pray with me again. God, we're, we're really here to, to focus our attention, our minds, our hearts on you this morning. As people who are created, Lord, from dust we are to dust we end up going, unless you return. <laughs> But Lord, you are the breath that animates our life. You are the very one who has created us down to the molecules, the DNA that makes us who we are and and unique. And yet somehow, uh, Lord, when we were made, each of us were created in your image. To have characteristics and qualities to think, to use use our minds, to be able to join you in creating, Lord, today we're going to talk about our Our moments matter in life. Because what we do in the moments have the potential to to bring life. Lord, but all of that, it it can't happen without your spirit moving in us today. So Father, uh, I I pray that your spirit that is present with us, that is the power that gives us life, that is the breath of your life living within us, Lord, will, will breathe that life into us today as we hear from your scriptures. Lord, many of us come from uh, facing weeks this week uh, that have been filled with both challenges and joys. Uh, some of our weeks have been mundane, and it seems like it's just another week. Lord, there are concerns, there are family and friends within our Heart of our community, family and friends that we are unaware of as a, as a church body, but Lord, others know that are, are facing surgeries, are facing diseases, are facing illnesses. Lord, are facing job loss, are facing addictions. Lord, we know that there are communities globally that are, Lord, Ukraine and Russia are still bound up in war. Earthquakes devastated. Communities have taken lives. Father, there's plenty in life that can weigh us down. In the midst of that, Father, remind us today who we are and whose we are. That we belong body and soul and life and death to you. That there is another in the fire with us. That, God, you forever reign, even in the midst and the moments where it feels like you're not. Lord, as we come into your story of the scriptures this morning, as we, more specifically, we look at the life of Esther. Lord, we don't always, we really don't hear your name at all spoken. But we know you're there. Wow, what another truth for our lives. So often you go unseen. You're not blatant and out there. But the truth is you are there. So now, Lord, we get to be in your presence. Not because we came here, but because you chose to come to each and every one of us. We're in your presence. I want to ask this morning, God, as you speak. Speak to each and every one of us. Encourage us again by your scripture, by your word, by what you have to say to us. Lord and and again, don't only just breathe life in us but may that life that you give to us be given to others. We pray these things Lord, and many more prayers in the name of Jesus our Lord and Savior and all God's children said Amen. Today uh, as we got to see in our uh, you, our, our, our bump in video, I'm sorry, it's just, Sometimes you just get things in your head, and now I just have, <laughs> so if I break out, just throw something at me. It's fine. <laughs> but, but we're going to dive into the story of Esther. Uh, Esther, we're getting close to the end of the Old Testament, and Esther is actually, uh, many scholars believe, the last book written... In the, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, and so we won't dive down that rabbit trail, but if you look for it in your Old Testament, it, it seems to come early on. It, it's a historical book. It's telling us a, a great story. I mean, from beginning to end, I would really encourage you, if you read the book of Esther, read it from chapter 1 to 10. It will take you a little while, but, but take the time to read it. There's a, there's a story arc in it, and I'm gonna just put up a story arc. Any good story really follows this arc, right? There's a, a setup, the plot develops, there becomes some kind of inciting incident, something that moves the story, gives it its trajectory, right? There becomes rising action, finally a climax, it falls, right? Good stories follow this. I was thinking, I've been watching, uh, and you may not think this is a good story, that's okay. I was watching Warehouse 13. How many of you know? Anybody know that TV show? Okay, it was on Sci-Fi. So there you go. A couple weeks ago, I, sh- I talked about Star Trek and Star Wars, <laughs> Warehouse 13, right? Five seasons, and I didn't like completely binge it because it was on freebie, and you still got to deal with commercials. So, but nonetheless, five seasons. Now, I can't tell you every, you know, story, every bit uh, that happened in every episode, but I do know this. Every episode followed a story arc, right? It, it, the plot set up for the moment, it, it moved along, and then all of a sudden, there was this climax. Something had to happen. They had to save the world. They get artifacts, and they, they, these artifacts, you know, start taking people's lives, doing crazy things. They got to rescue these artifacts, put them away, log them, tag them, bag them, tag them, and then, woo, the world's saved, but then each season had an arc. And not only did every season have an arc, all five seasons had an arc. Now again, can't tell you the details of every one. I could probably remember some. But I can tell you some themes. Some things that happened that, that the whole show was anchored in and about. I can tell you that, that in Warehouse 13, every character had a past. And not only did every character have a past, they had a past that needed to be worked through. And that they need they couldn't get through this past alone. And that was another theme, is, is they needed others. They, they didn't realize how much they needed each other. They weren't called just to do a job, but they needed each other to get past their past and to step into their moments. And not only did everybody have a past, they had a purpose. And their purpose was saving the world, right? Woohoo. Themes. This morning, as I think about the book of Esther, I don't want to talk about necessarily, we'll see some specifics, but there's some themes that I I hope we can grab onto, that we can pay attention to. Now, we already saw in the video um, what I'm going to say a very, very child-friendly telling of Esther. Because if you read Esther, you will find out it is NC-17 right? King Xerxes, they don't go just to a a state of Susa. They go to the capital city of Persia, right? This is where King Xerxes, who rules all of Persia, dwells. He rules over 127 provinces, right? We have 50 states in America. 127 provinces. Think about that. At least triple the size of the United States. He was leading the then known world, King Xerxes throws a 180-day party-slash-bender. He wants to show off his extravagance, how powerful, how, how how, how filled with splendor his life is. And all of a sudden, we come to this, at the very beginning of Esther, the last seven days. They haven't run out of the good wine. They haven't run out of all the good food. And he then calls for his wife Vashti. Uh, his beautiful wife to come in and dance with a crown on her head, which, by the way, would have been the only thing he was asking her to wear. He wanted to show off his wife, but Vashti, who had some moral fiber and character, this is really kind of important for us because as we talk about Esther in just a moment, she's a woman we know, especially as we journey through the story, a woman of beauty and courage, of character. Well, Vashti had some character and she said no. You think Xerxes, the king of the then-known world, liked that? Oh no, he didn't. Do you think all of his other buddies liked that? Oh no, they didn't. Because he said, "What should I do to her?" And they're like, "Well, first you got a banner. I mean, you can't have that kind of, you know, that kind of disobedience. Oh, and better yet, you now need to make a rule, a law, send it out to the then-known world that all women need to make sure that they follow their husbands." Shh. Good job, men. I want to congratulate you this morning for not going, Yeah! Okay? <laughs> Would have been a dumb move. <laughs> but that's what they did. Sent out a law. But Xerxes, who, who, who really, I mean, he's this guy who, who, who thinks more with uh, his heart than his head, realizes after a little while that he's missing his wife. Amidst all the other concubines and other people that he has, he's still missing his wife. So what does he do? He throws a, 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 a we're going to say, we could say a Miss Universe pageant. I'm going to borrow this from Marty Solomon. He, uh, he's a teacher for Bayma Discipleship. He's a preacher, but he, he's, he, I think he says it really well. Xerxes decides to, to throw a combination American Idol Bachelor Hunger Games pageant where they literally took the daughters, virgins, the scripture says, from their families. They didn't have a choice. Hunger games. And then for a year, yeah, did beauty treatments, but also taught them how to pleasure the king. So that they all had one night with the king, and whoever could do the best to make him feel good was the one who would win. Well, the story of Esther, and this is all folks in the setup. She wins. We don't know exactly how she does, but she does. Right now, if I was Esther, I never would have wanted to be in that place. Wasn't right. A lot of times as we think about the first theme, which I'm almost there, we don't always want to go through what we went through to get to where we are. But nonetheless, she's there. And in, as, as she comes into being queen, we saw that Mordecai. Mordecai was her cousin, but because she had no parents, he really functioned as her father. He would stay outside of the gate and, and look in on her. He wanted to make sure that she wouldn't give out the fact that they were Jewish because they were kind of scared about what would happen in that. But he stood outside the gate, he, he hung out there, he spent his time there so he could kind of communicate back and forth with her. And in, in, in the midst of that, he catches, uh, he's, he's there in the right time, the right place, catches an assassination attempt plot. Tells Esther, Esther tells the king, Whoo! life saved. Again, still, in the beginning, the development. Esther, Mordecai, key characters, Xerxes, and now Haman. We hear about Haman. Haman the Agagite, the Amalekite, mortal enemies of the Jews. They were Canaanites. King Agag would have been his descendants, fought against Solomon. So here's some history, or King Saul. So so kind of like, yeah, they they know we don't want anything to do with you, you don't want anything to do with us. Well, Haman was elevated by King Xerxes, celebrated by King Xerxes. You're supposed to bow down to him because the king says so. Mordecai doesn't. And Haman decides to set up a plot. A plot to wipe out all the Jews, not just in the district but in the whole Persian empire, that in 11 months, neighbors, employers, what would have been friends have permission to annihilate men, women, children, plunder their resources, a full-out purge. You get 24 hours. Have at it. Now, Mordecai is broken. Jews across the then-known world, broken, scared, Again, another opportunity to just be wiped out. Esther has no clue, but she heard that Mordecai was weeping, suffering. And all of a sudden, a moment happens. See, the first theme we look at, and I want to bring to your attention in the book of Esther, is that our moments matter. Mordecai had a moment where he could thwart the the assassination attempt on the king because he was in the right place at the right time. But here, we're going to hear in Esther 4 that our moments matter. That where we are has the potential to make a difference. So, Esther reaches out to Mordecai. Mordecai sends word. She has no clue of this law. See, oftentimes in the palace, life is different than on the streets. And he says, we're going to be annihilated. We're going to be wiped out. And gives her this word, verse 11 of Esther 4. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know. So he tells her this, and she says back to him, all the king's officials, the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death. Unless the king extends the gold scepter to them, spares their lives, the 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. He said, Esther, go on our behalf. Beg the king. Go reveal to him that you're Jew. Save us. She's like, yeah, but I haven't been invited in. You remember what he did to Vashti? He banned her. And the law says, I'd be killed. I haven't been welcomed in. Verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Don't think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. He believed God was God actually was a covenantal God who loved his people. If you don't, somebody else will. But man, you and your family. I'll perish. And who knows that you've come to your royal position for such a time as this. This moment matters. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my attendants will have passed as you do. When this is done, I'll go to the king even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Moments matter. Again, like Esther, today, kind of flipping the script. We're going to talk about your life. (laughs) This lower story, our, our, our boots on the ground. I can't control what has been. Amen? I can't go back and change all of the things that got me to where I am today. Moments that were certainly filled with joy, accomplishment, (laughs) celebration, but also moments of pain, of hurt, brokenness. And our moments matter. Our moments lead us to the possibilities of the future, don't they? Of what could be later on. I don't know what maybe this message will mean for you and how you'll be later on this week. Our moments will lead us to something. They both were, they got us to where we are. They influenced our position now. They will influence our position later. But here's the grace of God for us. One of these themes, these core themes throughout the book of Esther, God's story for us is this, that this moment, though, isn't determined by what has been. My current situation, while it was influenced by what has been, isn't determined by what has been. And I can't control tomorrow. I can influence it. I can't control it. I I, I instantly drawn to the words of Jesus, don't worry about tomorrow. It's got enough worries of its own. But this moment, this moment matters. See, God's story and and what we've been seeing throughout the whole scripture is God has always looked for partners in this world. He created Adam and Eve to be his partner. Even though sin came into the world, he he said, Noah, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to covenant with you. And then he'd go through the likes of Abraham and then he'd say to the people of Israel, you're my people. I want to partner with you in this world. I want to bless the world through you, by blessing you. I want to be your God so that the world would see I love them and for them, just like I love you and I'm for you. The prophets, the whole, their whole message was what? To represent, to partner with God, the judges, the kings, right? God, in his DNA, his desire of creating us is trying to say, you matter to me and I want to partner with you. Your moment, your life matters, and that's why what has been, even though we can't control it, God's story is one of redemption, of saying, guess what? I can, I can, in this moment, change the trajectory of your life despite what has happened to get you here. I mean, Esther, we can look at the fact that, man, we, we can see, she, there are things and there are scholars who will say, man, she just coalesced to it all, she she, she." Her and Mordecai, they did everything they could do to save their skin. Now, I don't see that in the Scripture. However, there are scholars who say, that's, that's what is. But guess what? Does not matter? doesn't matter. What's Mordecai say? Who knows? You're in this moment, though. And if you don't stand, we need somebody to stand. Somebody else will, but this is your moment. Your moment matters. Mordecai. Oh no. Some scholars say that they were being faithful. They were, they were trusting God in, in a totally difficult situation. That's the importance of Esther being one of the last books written. Because by this time in the scripture, in the life of the Israelites, they're already, the majority are moved back. Not in Esther the story. Not a lot of people had moved back yet. It was too hard to move back to Jerusalem. But when the people would have heard this letter, God was pretty quiet. They didn't know what to do. Their life was just going the mundane every day. Our world isn't the way it used to be. We're trying to figure it out. But you know what? What is it? What's today about? Esther reminds us your moment matters. Your moment makes all the difference. doesn't have to be a grand, glorious thing. I mean, we see often in the story of, of Esther, this, I mean, you're going to save the people. She didn't think about whether she would save the people. It was, will I step in and will I do the right thing? And I think that's what matters most in the moment. Will we do the right thing the right time in the right place? could be a conversation. Could be an act of kindness. Can be taking a moment to listen when somebody needed you. Could be that phone call or a text. Could be showing up to work, being dependable, counted on, trusted, because your boss is tired of everybody else not showing up, being counted on. They're sleepless nights because what are we going to do if this doesn't get done, and you're the one who shows up? They're like, thank you. Somebody shows up. Our moments matter. They have the opportunity to influence what will be. We have an opportunity to breathe life into the world. This is a huge theme. But it isn't the climax of the story. If we go back to our story arc, It's only the rising action. The climax of the story is between two banquets. Esther didn't just have one, she had two. The first one was genius. She invites King Xerxes. He says, okay, I'll go. She goes in front of him. He's not going to condemn her. He loves his wife. He knows what it's like to be missing his wife. So he's like, nope, nope, all right. So this is going well for her. He invites... She invites him to dinner, says, Hey, man, why don't you come too? Because she knows his plot and fix this great banquet, this great feast, and then says, My king, will you come to another one tomorrow? Um, yeah. But what do you want to tell me? How many of you ever had that meeting? Hey, can we meet? Sure. Uh, what's it about? We'll just talk about it when we get there. Genius move. Because what does it do in the scriptures? It actually leaves King Xerxes up at night. Now, we don't know why he's up at night, but for whatever reason, he knows I went to a banquet. My wife wants to tell me something. She is the most beautiful woman in the world, right? Like, she won the, the Hunger Games Idol contest. And she wants Haman to be there too. I don't know. (laughs) But she got him wrapped around her finger. (laughs) Come tomorrow. He can't sleep. And this becomes the climax. A quiet presence. Verse 1, chapter 6. That night, the king couldn't sleep, so he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. Right? Like, if you're not... Pompous, prideful, (laughs) I can't sleep. Read me about, read to me all of my accolades. (laughs) Well, it was found recorded there that Mordecai, moments matter, right? That Mordecai had thwarted, right? Had exposed Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway who conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. In verse 3, he says this, What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing's been done for him, his attendants answered. Why do I say a quiet presence? Because while I start by saying, man, God wants to partner with you, your moments matter. God God redeems our past and and gives us a new opportunity. Uh, Our moments are a new opportunity No matter where we've been, that's a grace of God, isn't it? Like, I can step into a new day today, despite what may have been, by God's grace. But did you know this? Esther has no mention of God. I'm talking about God. But Esther makes no mention of God. Again, those who were reading this letter, this, this story would, would be sitting in the same place. God hasn't spoken. There's no prophets, no leaders. I mean, we're just going about our daily work. God seems to be not in the story and in the picture. Esther, no mention of him throughout. So this must have been at the climax in between two banquets. I mean, this must have been coincidence. But we know that's not how God's story works. There is no such thing as coincidence. We believe in a God who is active even though we may not be clearly seen. We believe in a God who is sovereign over all of the events of history, both that which is painful and hurtful and that which is glorious, filled with splendor. We believe in a God who takes and reforms and reshapes what has been to give us the opportunity of what will be. But in the quiet presence, who would have thunk it? As a king who's full of pride, sits to to listen to all of his glorious splendor and works, he hears about Mordecai, a faithful Jew who stood in a moment The right time in the right place. He can't sleep because of his wife, who was willing to risk her life and step into a moment. And we hear about his life saved. Well, what happens next, I mean, is amazing. God literally flips the script. That's why we know this is the climax. If we know how good stories work, the climax is the moment where everything changes. God isn't just a quiet presence. He is at work as well. He's not just hands off. He's involved. He's not just going to bring us a reminder of something, but he's going to actually flip it on its head, and especially for his people. He's not going to let us stay where we were. He's not going to let brokenness win. So in that moment, he says, hey, who's in the court? What's been done for Mordecai? Nothing. Nothing's been done. Who's in the court? Guess who walks in just when he asks the question? Haman. Now, Haman is a pride-filled man. He had set up a a 75-foot impaling pole, right? Not some noose to be hung on. No, that's not how the Persians did it. They built... These huge poles to impale people on. So again, NC-17 wouldn't have looked pretty. And he's like, yes, when my day comes with Mordecai, oh baby, I'm going to have at it. So he's walking in. He's high on life. He got to go to Esther's banquet with Xerxes. And then all of a sudden he hears, hey, let me ask you something, Haman. Haman. Somebody who, who, who stuck up for the king, who, who thwarted plans, who, who I want to honor. What would you do for him? Haman's like, yeah. Yeah, he already honored me once. Oh, this is good, man. I'm in a great position. I, I think you should give him a robe. I think you should give him your horse. I think you need to parade him through the streets. I mean, you got to give him his rent. I mean, you, you just... And what does Xerxes do? What does Xerxes do? Well, let's look to the scriptures. Verse 10. So go at once. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew. The script gets flipped. Do this for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Don't neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman... Got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai. He led him horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. (laughs) Ooh, sucks to be him. (laughs) Afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate. But Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief. And he told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. His advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is a Jew of Jewish origin, right? There's a story. We've always been enemies. The Jewish people have won. Right? It, since this is of Jewish origin, he is, you can't stand against him. You're surely going to come to ruin. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet that Esther had prepared. And at that banquet, Esther reveals. She said, my people, I'm a Jew. My people are going to get wiped out. They're going to get annihilated. And King Xerxes says, who would do such a thing? Him. Xerxes is enraged. Leaves for a moment. Haman begs her. Throws himself on her. Now is that gonna look good when the king runs, comes in? Oh no. You now want to defile my wife, too? King Xerxes orders that Haman gets impaled on the same post he had set up for Mordecai. He then goes on, because Xerxes is a genius, he he can't change his order. That by law he couldn't change his order. He could, but then that would also weaken his standpoint. So what he does is he gives Mordecai, Mordecai had had his ring, and he says to Mordecai and Esther, and he says, here's what I want you to do. You make an order about that day in, in 11 months. We don't know the, the whole timeline. Maybe it's 10 months from now. While there's one order that says, hey, by the way, you can go after your neighbors, the Jews. This is in the king's name. But now, go ahead and make, make a law. You guys decide to do it, right? And this is how Xerxes rolls oftentimes. I'll let you f- you figure out. I don't know I'm going to put my word out. <laughs> you do it. So Mordecai and Esther do this. It's genius. They say, oh, by the way, if you're Jewish, you get to fight back. You have permission to fight back. Goes out to the whole then known world. So now if you're in that empire, here's the thing, you get two orders. One says you can kill your, your, your Jewish neighbors by order of the king or um, the Jewish neighbors can fight back. You're left with a decision, aren't you? Your moment is going to matter, isn't it? Oh, and by the way, when you start finding out that all of the king's men Are on the side of Mordecai and Esther because, oh, by the way, the one who influenced the first one isn't alive anymore? Who do you think you're going to side with? And here's, in a simple way, how we get to the festival of Purim, Where God flips the script. A day that was meant for annihilation became a day of rejoicing. Not just over one day, but a second day was granted to Esther and to the Jews to defend themselves, to fight for their lives. And while they had the chance to take the lives of others, they weren't going to annihilate them. Haman sought to annihilate. They weren't allowed to annihilate, they were allowed to defend. Now, Haman's family was gone. There was judgment, but there was freedom. And to this day, it's a celebration. It's a celebration that, uh, as I studied this week, actually is kind of like Halloween for us. They get dressed up in costumes. And why do you think they get dressed up in costumes? Because God who saves them doesn't always look the way they thought. Sometimes God seems to come in disguise. You may not always see God in the moment. You may not always know how you got where you were and where God was, but our God flips the script. He's with us, and he won't let us go. It's fitting that this is really, the last, really one of the last writings of the Old Testament. Not just to remind those who weren't hearing from God regularly that God was present. But the next act of God's story is Jesus. Jesus. The greatest flip of any script that would ever be. Today we celebrate communion. Communion reminds us God is in the business of flipping the script. That God would actually step into death, defeat death, so we could have life. In just a moment, we're gonna we're after we're all said and done, we're gonna sing. I see victory, right? And we're gonna sing some words where it says, "You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good." Right? God's got that potential to do that in this moment for you in your life. Your moment matters. No matter how you got to where you are, God can flip any script so that your life, my life, can be something new. Because God, even though you may not have seen him, has been and will be and is present in our lives. And he doesn't want to let death win. He doesn't want to let lifelessness be our story. You and I and the story for the world is there's so much more. There is life. We celebrate communion today. Uh, we, in our practice, if you're not familiar, uh, we have it's called an open table. That means if you confess Jesus, if you've been baptized, come and experience the grace given. If you haven't, know that God's grace is still for you. Just because we take and participate doesn't mean that God's not for you. But it's that this is part of our story. It's meant to nourish our story. But if you say, you know what, this isn't my story yet. I'd like for you just to watch and think for a moment. Be reminded that our God has come to bring you life, not to bring you judgment. While he judges evil, he came and desired to bring life abundantly. That's why we take some bread that, that... Bread is something that gathered, we, right? We think about grains that get gathered from fields, about, from God's creation. It's meant to feed us and fill us. While well, we take some of the juice and we dip it in because, man, it's meant to nourish us. But so much more, we know that it reminds us that Jesus gave his body, his life for us. He poured out his blood for us. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he was betrayed by a friend, and in fact, he was betrayed by most. Most who loved him walked away from him. But they celebrated. They spe- celebrated the Passover, a time when God would save, because that's God's story in our lives. He saves. And He said, this body, this, this bread is my body, given for you, broken for you. When you do this, when you eat of it, don't just remember that it's bread. Remember it's me giving myself, my body to you. And he took a cup that they had shared together and he said, this is my covenant. It's my promise. It's an enduring promise. And this cup is for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. We're reminded this morning that these are God's gifts to us because of Jesus Christ, the greatest gift of all. I want to invite those who are serving our worship team to, to come forward. I'm going to say a prayer. Um, come on up. And then uh, we'll come participate. Lord, as we're uh, hearing your word again, thank you for redeeming our moments, giving us opportunities, new opportunities, knowing that our opportunity can can bring life, not only in the moment, but uh, in the days to come. Thank you that you're present, you're always present with us, even though we may not see you. And thank you, Lord, that you change stories, you flip them. You take what the enemy intends for evil, ultimately death itself and sin, Lord, and you flip it on its head through the giving of your life. This morning, God, we confess our, our brokenness, our mistakes to you, our need for you. Lord, fill us by your spirit with your grace. That favor that can only come from you, that life that can only come from you. And thank you again for the gift of being able to celebrate your goodness to us in Jesus' name. And all God's children said. How we do things we kind of walk up this more towards the middle make a u around the table um, with that being said come for all things are ready Worship a God who is present in your life, even though we may not always see him. A God who flips the script so that there can be life for us. That's why our moments matter. This next moment of your life you've never lived. You have a new opportunity. Go knowing that the God who loves you and created you is with you receive this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, his smile upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's children said, Amen. If you want to stick around to have a little breakfast, feel free. Otherwise, if you don't mind stacking a few chairs, we'd appreciate it.